0: There's nothing a man can do that I can't do better and in heels. Ginger Rogers. Chapter 17. There are so many myths on which the reality of Hollywood is based. Some are funny and fun, some are sad, and some are desperate. I knew that success, no matter how it came, was the one thing everyone remembered. Consider this. Around the time I had become a producer, so had a young fellow that happened to have a way with finicky animals. Titans of the industry relied on him to run errands and walk their dogs. And as luck would have it, he was nearing completion on a film that featured whales, dinosaurs, or comic book heroes. It's hard to remember the particulars. Two years earlier, another up-and-comer had answered phones for a He-Man actor who had a production deal at one of the majors with offices off the lot. This amiable youngster was biddable and sweet and built. The actor had a penchant for youths of that nature, and when he discovered the dulcet-voiced Adonis was sleeping in his car, he invited him to take up residence in his offices. A couch became his bed, He showered at the gym, and within six months, He-Man and Adonis were in production on a best-selling book turned sizzling screenplay, turned box office dynamo. The dog walker had a reputation in town for being deft and diplomatic. The kid who once lived in his car had his fingers to the pulse of current events. How would a former nanny be perceived? It depended entirely on how much money my movie made. I was seated on the veranda of Cooper's Hotel, waiting for him to emerge from his cottage. It was a bright day. The glow of the Pacific blue sky found its way past stone column and arch, and traced a scalloped pattern of light and dark on the terracotta tile at my feet. Once upon a time in the late 1920s, the chateau was constructed as a luxury apartment building a little slice of idealized France suspended just above the buzz of Sunset Boulevard. I could see why Cooper had retreated to the grounds. It was a little fortress-like, a little magical, and it was steeped in the history and folly of Los Angeles. I ordered a pot of tea and a plate of scones and thought Mr. Booker would approve of the porcelain, the heavy silver, and the immaculate table linens. It was a gorgeous veneer of civilization masking antecedents of less-than-civilized behavior. Motorcycles roaring into the lobby, rockers hanging from drain pipes, uh, and drug pigeons and deaths. I was in a dark underbelly frame of mind. Cooper arrived looking intent and wide awake. He sat across from me, reached for a scone, and greeted me with a, "'Hiya, chief.' My first emotional defense against Cooper was messily tied up with my initial attraction. Something about ambition and need and, Billy, why are you looking at me that way? I was thinking the scar above his eyebrow only made him look better. The flaw that set off his allure. I said, you want breakfast? You're trying to figure out if I want pancakes or scrambled eggs? He put his folded hands on the table Leaned forward and said, It's gonna be okay. Really, it is. Oh, where's Sylvie? Up in the cottage, with a sitter. You okay with that? Why wouldn't I be? What was wrong with me? I knew he wasn't being cavalier about his child. He'd just been through hell. It's just that if Sylvie were my baby, she'd be in a bassinet on a chair beside the table, beside me. Or would she? Wouldn't it be more likely I would have handed over the infant to Mr. Booker as I had with Jake? Who was I kidding? Self-knowledge can be very disheartening. Oh God, there's that face again. Would you just talk to me? Cooper had quickly swallowed my cup of tea and was pouring another, to which he added a ridiculous amount of sugar and the remainder of the cream. A waiter appeared tableside, and Cooper ordered. While late risers, dressed in beautiful clothes, exquisite features puffy and blurred with the last traces of sleep, sat down for coffee. The veranda, which had only been occupied by me, was now full of murmurs and the first hesitant conversations of the morning. Cooper, how do we move forward? The same way we always do? Why are you being so weird? I mean the movie. What else would we be talking about, Cooper asked. Well, we might be talking about patients checking out of your life, or the complicated and all-engrossing topic of early childhood development, or how you're going to cope with being a a civil, no, a single father. Anyway, we might even touch on how you're feeling, and if you want or even think you're going to be able to direct this movie right now. Billy, I am directing this movie right now. Ah, double down with a definitive answer. Nicely played. So you're directing this movie right now. What about... I gestured toward the cottages. The Chateau's youngest resident. Back off, Billy. Sylvie is my business. Yes, thank you. That's exactly what I mean. Sylvie is your business. We appraised each other in silence. Cooper drank another cup of my tea. His face I had become accustomed to. His brusque manner I found somehow endearing. But I was determined not to be dominated or outmaneuvered. So let's do something. Let's create a vault right here at this table. Think of it as a kind of safe deposit box, where only you and only I have the keys. We can say anything we want and lock it in the box. Nobody else will ever have access. We can open the box whenever we want and look at what we put inside, but the contents are just ours. It never goes beyond you and me. Billy, you're the only person I am straight with all the time. You don't have to get dramatic about it. Cooper frowned and leaned back in his chair. What we say here stays in the vault, if that's what you want. That's what I want. Go ahead, open the goddamn box, Pandora. You know, you don't intimidate me, Cooper. You never have. I know. And I'll fight for you. (sighs) That I clued into a while ago. I just, okay. I glanced up, looking directly into Cooper's eyes. I've been in meetings all week, and there is no wiggle room with the shooting schedule. He nodded, and there's a lot of concern about whether or not you can direct this picture while going over legal hurdles and taking care of a five-month-old baby. I'm not concerned. You're not. No. I, who had thought through this meeting like a chess game, kept advancing my pawns, hoping to provoke insight or candor or anything at all resembling conversation. You bring the word taciturn to new heights. Cooper smiled. I was beginning to think he was enjoying this. Yep. Oh, well, could you expand on that, please? I asked. I'm trying to keep it simple so we don't get caught up in a lot of crap. I'll be back in the office on Monday. We'll start shooting in eight weeks. And you're going to rent me an extra nice trailer so the nanny I hire can bring my baby to set every day. When the picture is locked and loaded, Sylvie will be a year and a half old. Your producing cred will be established. And I will have directed my second film. I know what I owe you, Billy. He paused for a moment. Thought of something else and then closed with, and I know what you owe me. So lock that up, and let's have breakfast. Breakfast consisted of both pancakes and scrambled eggs, plus bacon, a French press of high-octane coffee, and a side of berries. Cooper was hungry and apparently relishing every bite. I was busy going through the contents of my recently acquired safe deposit box. I know what I owe you, Billy, and I know what you owe me. Cooper pointed a rasher of bacon my way. Now who's being quiet? Me, I'm just thinking. Wait, go back and open that vault up for a minute, he said as I nodded. You never liked patience, did you? No, I, I, uh, no, I, I really didn't, I confirmed. But your dislike of patience your dislike of patience doesn't affect how you feel about Sylvie, right? Of course not. Good, because when your super lawyer friend came over, I had to fill out a lot of papers, decide a lot of things. A hummingbird hovered over a scarlet blossom. Waiters bobbed between tables. A woman laughed and I could hear cutlery clinking against China. I had to name a guardian for Sylvie. In case, of, uh, whatever, I named you. He carefully placed a slice of pancake with syrup, then a bit of bacon on the tines of his fork, and lifted it to me. I took the tendered mouthful, which was tasty and certainly an odd gesture, one adult to another. However, it was only the latest in a string of strange developments, and I realized, completely, placidly, perhaps even a little pleased, that I had been outmaneuvered beyond my wildest imaginings. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the story, please tell a friend.